Father, this is, uh, this is your time. Holy Spirit, your time. We're your people. We come together to hear from you. I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts in a powerful way that would impact us, Holy Spirit. I pray for a hunger to hear your voice. I pray for a desire, for an appetite for exactly what you have, for exactly what you want to do. I thank you for your word that can guide us, that can instruct us, that can equip us. We give you thanks for that, Lord. And Jesus, we just give you thanks for modeling perfectly the type of love, sacrifice, and devotion for being a Christian. So we just thank you for that. You were tempted in every way, but yet you didn't stumble. And so we just give you thanks for that. And we say thank you for laying down your life for us so we can inherit a completely other life other than our own. So we always have a hope, so we always have a future. We thank you so much. Thank you that we get to partner with what your purposes here are on earth, Lord. So I pray that your word would encourage us, would guide us, that it would take over much of the words that come out of our mouths and the meditation that goes on in our hearts that we prayed about earlier. We pray that your word would just invade that, Lord, and become part of us. So we thank you for this time, and we pray that you just speak to our hearts. Give us a better understanding of your gifts, Holy Spirit, that you bring, that you embody in your people. I pray that we would have a better understanding from you. And may you fill us with a courage and a boldness to live out this Christian life in ways that may be unfamiliar or uncommon to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that's what we've been talking about, is this life in the Spirit, right? We've been talking about that. And um, I want to read you something here. I'm going to read you a longer thing in a minute, but I'm going to start off with this one thought. It's my belief and my opinion, and you've got to go back and check me on this, okay? You've got to go back, you've got to do some reading, you've got to look at some stuff. But I think it's a pretty good case, it's a pretty good argument. Um, I don't think that Christianity... And following God, the Christ followers, being in a relationship with Him, that was never intended to only, say only, it was never intended to only be about following rules and modeling virtues. It was never only about that. And some people might think, well, what else is there? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And and it is a pretty big deal to following what God says to do the way he calls us to live. It's a really big deal when virtues like forgiveness, compassion, patience, where it actually becomes who we are. And we actually have to operate in those virtues and those characteristics for the most part, most of the time. That's miraculous. To become a truly forgiving person that lives in peace, that has patience towards others, that's always thinking about how can I hold them up? How can I pray for them? How can I show love in their life for family members, for friends, for whoever, for those that have hurt us, for those that have not hurt us? It's miraculous. 
It's not a behavior modification. It's a spiritual transformation. So living according to rules and virtues is kind of a big deal. It's important. Are you with me? So following some rules, having virtues come out of our life without a lot of striving and just working, and and kind of is for a while because you have to fight for a while because you have to fight with who you normally are and what the Spirit wants to do, so there's this fight going on. And some days you're winning and some days you're losing. What happens, and that's called the fighting the good fight of faith, but what happens over some period of time of doing that and engaging, some people just want to check out, but the people that choose to engage and stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, they start to experience victory more often. They, they start to like start feeling more free. And they start like writing songs about places of freedom and like where it's at and how it happens. So it's miraculous when a person changes like that. I would follow that statement up with saying it wasn't just always about rules and virtues. It's also about supernatural experiences. Supernatural experiences. So the Christian life, I think that it should be really summed up with following what God says, His rules, His way of living. Having virtues be made manifest in us that flow out of our life to where we become them. Not just we think about them and we agree about them, but we actually live it. We become it. It actually changes our life. We become a different person. And also, at points in time, there's just supernatural things that might happen in weird ways or that might happen just, they're supernaturally natural. They just come out. There is an experienced part of the Christian life, which we've been talking about as we've been talking about this spirit-filled life. There's experiences that come with it. And um, I want to read you about one here, and then we're going to talk some more about some stuff. So let me read you one here. Um, Let's see here. So this guy, he says, I was in London as part of the London, and I share this with you just to um, further highlight and make the point that, yes, God's rules matter. Yes, his virtues matter. His characteristics of living absolutely matter. He wants to do them, but there also is a large part of experience in there, supernatural experience. And much of it is strange and uncommon and people have kind of made a mockery out of it at times, but that doesn't mean that there's not a place for it. And hopefully our goal and our hunger is, okay, so if that stuff can happen and that can go on, so then what's my place? What's God doing here? How is this supposed to work? So I just wanted to, to share something with you here. Um, So I was in London as part of the London Prayer Summit, and I spoke on the subject of gatekeepers of his presence. It's a pretty radical title, gatekeepers of his presence. As I was speaking from the podium, I glanced over to one side and felt sort of a magnetic pull toward a man with brown skin, dark hair, and dark eyes who was seated in a section some distance away, though in a seat close to the front. So as he's talking, he's kind of feeling like this thing drawn to somebody, you know. Uh, weird words or syllables were floating through my mind. And I could read the syllables. It seemed like meaningless nonsense, almost like Fred Flintstone saying, yabba-dabba-doo, but it persisted. 
So he has this guy talking about the gatekeepers or whatever, gatekeepers of his presence, talking about whatever. He's feeling like, as he's talking, he's feeling just drawn to whoever. He's got yabba dabba doo going on in here, but he's saying something out there. It's interesting, right? Soon the syllables sort of gelled into Allah Habad. Every time I looked in this man's directions, I saw those syllables in my mind. So he's still talking, carrying through whatever he's doing. And I can, like, understand what he's talking about because it happens many times, not quite like that and in that same exact way, but other times it happens. Where you're just talking, things are happening, and there's also something developing, like, going on here. It's, it's wild. So, soon the syllables uh, get gelled into Allahabad. Every time I looked in the man's direction, I saw the syllables in my mind. I was trying hard to deliver my message, and this was a distraction, needless to say. This magnetic pull would draw my attention, and then the syllables would go through my mind. I thought it might be a message in tongues. Eventually, I just got tired of fighting it off. I went over to that section and stood facing this fellow. I just opened my mouth and said, Conrad, or Conrad of Alabad, you have come from the Ganges River in India, and you have spent all the money that you had to come here to pick up the spirit of prayer because you want to take it back to a place of pilgrimage where the Hindus come and wash themselves emotionally, ceremonially every year in the Ganges River. I prayed for him, and he went out, in quotations, in the spirit. So then I went back and completed my message. The man was still lying next to his seat when I left. It turns out that he was out for six hours straight. So the next morning I was in the lobby of the hotel when a man came up to me and said, how did you know my name? He goes, I, I don't, I replied. Yes, you do, he said. He said, no, I don't. Uh, we went back and forth saying yes and no. Finally, he said, yes, you know my name because you called it out yesterday in the meeting. It's Conrad. He pronounced his name with, the, with his proper British Indian accent and it sounded like Conrad. Not how I would normally say it with my Midwestern, Southern American accent. And he was from Alabad, India. The rest of the information was true, too. He had miraculously received from God precisely what he had come for, through prayer based on a word of knowledge. There's like so many, so many of experiences, stories like that all of the time, where it becomes just normal functioning for the Christian. It might not happen all the time, the same way, every day. I mean, that's... But there are these supernatural things that where God himself, he's choosing, he wants to do that. Not to make a spectacle, not to make a show. Which some people, they just like that. We're an entertained culture and we like to be entertained. And some people, for the sake of no entertainment, they just like shut down that whole area of the spirit moving. And they say it's just too dangerous. People just take advantage and so we're just not going to. But it's a still a very real and alive, active presence of God where he chooses to move that way in people's lives. Why does he do that? How come? Should we even want to be a part of that? I'm glad you asked all those questions because that's what we're going to look at. All right. 1 Corinthians 14. Here's a big one. Anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit and gifts and all this stuff, tongues is always thrown in there immediately right away. Tongue. Yeah, what about tongues? What about tongues? Can we talk about tongues? That one comes up like all the time. And I understand where the roots of that are and why that, how that happened. 
Um, but we'll get some clarity on that today. And we'll also get some clarity on um, prophecy. Say prophecy. Prophecy, prophetic words, right? So we'll get some clarity on that today. And uh, we, we won't cover and exhaustive the entire thing, but, but we'll, we'll dig in for sure. All right? Are you with me? Yes? I don't know about you, but like when I, so when I think about this stuff, and I think about who God is and how he wants to work, he wants to change Jared, right? He wants to change Tabitha. He wants to change Debbie. Like that's the goal, transformation. He doesn't want to just make my life better and more comfortable. He wants to transform me into whatever he wants to make me be. That's the gospel. It's what he wants to do. So there's still a part of me that it's getting less scared about that, but it can be a little bit scary. But part of that creates excitement because I'm like, oh, Father, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do? Like, in what way? Like, what kind of stuff are we talking about? Because if you are God and everything's, like, on the table and nothing's off limits for what you want to do, you've done amazing things through your word. And it's not to say that. He just won't do sometimes totally out of the ordinary things. And it's kind of exciting to me that yes, he wants me to follow what he wants me to follow, that he's going to do transformation in my life, but it's exciting that he's also going to say, hey, I'm going to work through you in some ways you can never think or imagine. That, that's exciting to me. It's a little scary too, but it's exciting. So it's like this amazing journey we could go on with our father where he has things he wants to accomplish and get done, and he says, yeah, and you're a big part of this, and I want to use you this way. Man, what a mission. What a mission for the Christian. And sometimes it just get boiled down to, like, you know, your devotional time, or did you read this? Did you get that memory verse? Did you do this? And, and those things are important, but like I said before, that, that's not the sum total everything of the Christian life. Those things matter, but he's got more in store for you and for I that will occasionally show itself in some crazy ways. That's a warning for you, right? Warning, disclaimer. And also, it should, don't be too surprised when it happens. Don't be too surprised when it happens. Just think of yourself saying, all right, Lord, I want to partner with what you want to do, however you want to do it. And you continue in that mindset and in that frame, Things get interesting. For the better. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 14. It says, follow the way of love. That's all we talked about last week. So if you missed anything last week, you all know about love. We talked about that last week. Because love brings everything together so it works right. Love and truth. They don't work at the cost of one another. They work in tandem. So it goes perfectly. You with me? Okay. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So let's pause for a second. What are we supposed to do with spiritual giftings? Yeah, eagerly desire them. Maybe that was just like a one-time thing. Paul was like, you know... Desire them. And he just said it once, and maybe he just wrote that by accident. The truth is he wrote it three times. 1 Corinthians 12.31, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Here, and then later on again, we're going to read in chapter 14. 
This is very interesting. Because some people sit there and they think, well, that'd be cool like, if God did some stuff like that with me one day. And God is saying, no, no, it's, it like, wouldn't be cool or neat. Like, that's my, I, I want to. It's an I want to. It's an I want to. Say, I want to. That's what God wants to do. Like, that's the plan. Say, plan. The plan is like, oh, it'd be neat if it happened. No, the plan is, I'm looking to do these things through you. That's the plan. It's going to have our God goggles on and ready to go. It's the plan. Oh, it'd be cool, you know, if, if, if God, like, maybe gave me tongues or I had a prophetic word or I had a word of wisdom or a cool story like that person. It's part of the plan. For you, like that's the deal. So he wants to have his kingdom come, have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven through his virtues, through love, through following him. At times, you might be sitting on a prophetic word for somebody. At times, you might be called to pray for somebody in Target right then and there. At times, some kind of crazy language might come out of your mouth. These things are like not, will they, kind of, I don't know how. It's the plan for them to happen. The idea for us as Christians is to receive that in faith. Be like, okay, like, this is what you want to do. You've made this clear all through your word. That's why we study this together. Like, did he really make it clear? So, Father, you made it all clear all through your word. You want to do this? Okay, how do I fit into this thing? What does it look like? What's going on? And the Bible says not even just be a part. It says eagerly desire. Say desire. The word here is very interesting. Uh, the word is uh, zelo. Say zelo. Zelo. Um, it's the same word used each time. So it's Z-E-L-O-O. The word is, is very interesting. I thought of like Zoolander as soon as I saw it. I'm like, no, that's not. Lander. But zelo, here's what it means. It's a desire, an earnestness to have your heart set upon, to be in completely intent upon. Check this one out. Jealous for, strive for. So an earnestness to have my heart set upon something completely intent upon, jealous for, strive after. The recommendation from Paul to the New Testament church, which would be us, is to be jealous of each other. No, it's not what we're saying. The recommendation for us is to have our hearts set upon, focused on these gifts that the Spirit wants to make manifest, say manifest makes manifest into his people so that his church can be built up and so that much of what we do is more than a matter of talk. Talking matters, but everybody knows action always matters. And much of the way that we show love 
And much of the way that we show that we believe a God who can do the impossible is occasionally he does some impossible stuff in us and through us. Because he's not just sitting there as Father in heaven saying, just believe it, just believe it, just believe it. He says, believe it, have faith in it, and then he says, expect it in your life. I'm going to do it in your life. Expect it in your life. Be paying attention. Because it's a story, not just about you, not just about me. It's a story for everyone. For God to be glorified through us to those around us. So he says, desire. Desire it. Have your heart set upon it. And I tell you what, that's one word in this season of life that I'm currently in that I can just relate to really well. Because my house is just filled with little ones who just desire things all day long. Their hearts are just set upon all the time. Whatever it is. I mean, we could come home from wherever and Jaron will have a car or whatever or a truck or whatever thing he got and he'll be playing with it. And it's so funny. I go to like get him out of the back seat and he's like passed out. And he's got his toy, whatever that he was playing, sitting there right next to him. And he's out, out. Pick him up, put him upstairs, put him in his bed. First thing the next morning, 5.30 a.m., come in, hair's all a mess, can't even really see you. It's still dark. Yada, where's my truck? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. What are you even talking about right now? What time is it? Go back in your bed. And then I'll go out, right, at some point in time. If I'm a good dad, I'd probably do it right away. A lot of times I'm not a good dad. I'd wait a little while. I'd, like, stall. <laughs> Let me get this. Let me do that. So eventually I'll make my way out there, and I'll bring it back into him. Dada. And usually he's still whispering because everybody else is still asleep. And we definitely don't want to wake up Jericho and have Judson up because then we got a show. He's like, Dada. It's like, where's the antenna? What? Antenna. There's, a, there's an antenna on this? Yeah. And then two guys that sit over here, and then the thing that goes on the back, and I'm... I'll tell you what. I think that's a pretty accurate picture. A pretty accurate picture. It's got its flaws. But a pretty accurate picture, for the most part, of how our heart should be set upon the gifts of the Spirit and how He wants to work and what He wants to do. To where it's not just some, this, like, this like, abstract life that's out there and maybe if we reach a certain level we can kind of like touch it and it happens. God's saying, no, like eagerly desire that. Eagerly to have that, have that in your life. So he would say, we would say to God, we'd say, Father, like I, I, I don't know, like can you have your spirit work in my life? Or sometimes more detailed. So, Father, I want to be able to speak in tongues. Father, I want to be able to have prophetic words. I want to be able to pray for people and have miraculous things happen. I want to have insight about people's lives so I can show them how much you love them. Right? This is how you ask. 
Because when you desire, it follows with an ask. It's not just some intention that you have. There's a difference between the desire and an intention. Good intentions are just like, hmm, yeah, it'd be nice. An eager desire that's almost like, the word jealous is in there, that's like way down the list as far as synonyms. But being intent on wanting towards, that's like, oh, how, how can I like maneuver myself to get over there? So it's a very big difference. And so Paul is saying to the New Testament church, to you and to I, desire these things, go after them. And there is a big part of the church that say, no, it's too dangerous. People make a mockery out of it. It's just a show. What do we need it for? We know that Jesus is our Savior. He saved us. We have the Bible. Why do we need the theatrics? If it's coming from a good intention, it's a fair question. And there's some merit to it. I mean, if you know that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, you've submitted your life to him, to him and you're trying to follow after him. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the Christian life right there. But the follow-up is, why do we need the other stuff? It's not an issue of, do we need it? It's an issue of, did God say it's available? It's an issue of, did he say, I want you to? That's the issue. So for the Christ follower, for for us, for Christians, it's, okay, I can eagerly desire this stuff. And so now, so now, if the Christian comes to turn with desiring to function and live out these ways with tongues and prophecy, which we're going to read about, The Spirit, what it will do is it'll help put it in check within us. Especially when we ask with humble and right motives. Father, I don't desire these things so I could be important, so I could feel like you love me, so I could feel like I could be being used more. These are not reasons to desire this. In fact, it's the total antithesis of that. That's called not knowing who you are as a Christian and needing something to bolster that and uphold that. At the end of the day, we have to know that we are loved. He is our Father. Jesus died for our sins. And be confident that nothing can separate us from Him. And He is ours and we are a child of Him. Once that comes into better picture and into better light, we're primed and ready to go to move in spiritual gifts in a healthy way. All right, so let's check this out. Verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue or another language does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. So that's to do with tongues, right? They can speak in another language, some kind of other language, and they speak mysteries, or in another place it says angelic kind of language. It's just, what is it? And kind of the running joke is you talk to any pastor in any church, there's always a joke about poking fun at tongues and how funny it sounds. A popular one that I like is she rode in on a Honda. Say it fast. She rode in on a Honda, she rode in on a Honda, she rode in on a Honda. Like, <laughs> that's like a popular one. There's other ones out there. But sometimes people make jokes. And that one apparently wasn't very funny. All right. So, 
But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their, pay attention, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's what prophetic words are for. That's what prophecy is for. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Some people, sometimes I have been around, I think have had the idea that prophetic words are to point you out where you're wrong and make you look bad and air your dirty laundry in front of everybody. I mean, it's really tough to make a biblical case for that. Old Testament, there is certainly a lot of the case for that. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that was like their job. Was to say, hey, our whole nation, we're missing it. We're worshiping false idols. We show up to church or synagogue, and we don't care about it. We just go through the motions, and God sees it, and we're going to pay for it. Let's get back on track. That's their message for like 400 years. That's what their prophetic words were about. And there would be some kind of foretelling what would happen in the future, all that kind of thing. In the New Testament, it's not so much like, hey, does somebody have a prophetic word for us today? So Tabitha's is going to get us, give us a prophetic word about um, how Keith is so far off from what he should be doing. That's it's like not a good situation, and we don't want to continue that and have that happen. The prophetic words in the New Testament, and if you look in the Greek, it, it, it uh, means um, divine inspired utterances. That's what the word means. I forget what the actual Greek word is, but they're divine inspired utterances. It's kind of general. But the original language, that's what you get. So prophetic words, New Testament, they might have some kind of foretelling of what might happen in the future. But also a big part of it is to what? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So is the latest new positive motivational speaker a prophetic guru? That's a good question. Fair question. The answer would definitely be no. It's good to be positive. Uh, it's good to be motivational. It's many times very inspirational. But the prophetic words, what it does is they highlight who God is why he's doing what he's going to do, and it always points to building up the church as a whole. Not just somebody leaving, I feel inspired now. It actually carries them further to, I feel inspired because like, there's a God who, blah, 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 blah. Or there's a God who's saying, da, 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 da. It brings it to another place. So positive, motivational people, are they bad? No, they're not bad people but we wouldn't call them prophetic people at all in any way, shape, or form. Is it good to sit in a positive mindset? Yeah, it's good. But something even better is to sit in a godly mindset. Because the godly mindset always sits at peace. There's a peace that's always there. You can always be so positive for so long. It gets kind of old. People are like, yeah, they just get annoyed actually of being around people like that. It's just like, ugh, it's positive all the time. You know? it's just... The reality is, life is not always that positive. It's pretty difficult and hard sometimes. And to just, ah, just do better and just throw me another happy, positive cliche, like, doesn't cut it. Can you imagine if that God with us song, if somebody came in the hospital room, all, you know, like, 
Try to come up with a positive word there. You're going to fail no matter what you say. You are going to, there's no words that you can come up with that I could say that could bring enough comfort and hit a place that needs to be hit. So you've got two choices. Just shut up and be there. Or only something comes out if there's a divine prophetic utterance that comes forward. Those are the only two choices. And good people, like, like we have a need to want to contribute and want to say something, and, and that comes from a good place. But the Spirit will start to show us, hey, something, this is from me that we really need to say. Or you're just giving them another positive mantra that you know, has great intentions. But for the Christian, God uses us to actually bring life to a situation, not just a smile. And there's like a big like, kind of tug of war right now like in the church and in Christianity culture between this spirit-living, spirit-speaking, God-focused way of doing things and then this sort of meditative, positive reinforcement, new age type of approach. It's kind of like there's a tug of war going on there. So check out verse 4. It says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the whole church may be edified. So this is pretty interesting. Number one is, even though tongues gets like all the press and all the show, we just got it demoted down to number three on the list. Real fast. And Paul's like, I don't even, it would be great. But honestly, it's not even something that, go after prophecy. And then he said, actually, go after interpreting the tongues. Because he's saying, hey, listen, the goal is to build up the church, not to build up the person. The goal is to build up the body, to encourage the body. To closer knit and align their hearts with heaven and what heaven is doing. It's hard to do that if you have somebody just with language just going out all over the place. So Paul's saying, prophesy. Focus on prophetic words that strengthen and encourage that can actually build the group together. Because if something's going on over here and somebody's saying something, nobody knows what they're saying. I, I don't know how that's helping too much. Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he's a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. 
Right? That's the goal. To have these gifts, you desire them to help build up the church, to build up other Christians. Tongues, it has its place. It really works really well, and it's the best when somebody speaks some other language, whether it be some other worldly language or some other angelic language. And then somebody's there to actually interpret what just went down. That's the great situation. I, I have seen that only a very few times, unfortunately. Kind of the catch-22 is, so some places, some churches say, oh, in tongues, got to have an interpreter. There, don't do it. Got to have an interpreter. Um, it also goes saying that it's going to be hard to interpret if nobody's saying anything. So, like, it wouldn't necessarily be an awful thing if somebody who is, like, working through their giftings and it happens to be a greater manifestation of tongues and other languages, if they're, like, taking a risk and letting it come out of their mouth so other people hear it, they might be on board. Even if somebody doesn't interpret it in the minute or in the moment. They could be doing a good thing. Sometimes people are quick to judge it. Oh, there was an interpreter, so that was bad. Shouldn't have done it. That was bad. Come on, you gotta, you know, figure people out. How, how many, how, how many of us just get it all right right away when the spirit moves? Like there is like this idea that that's what happens. The spirit moves, he does something to somebody, and the person just boom gets it right. Like no, there's still people that are like figuring it out and trying to listen. And so if that person does go out and they do speak in tongues, some of their language. The other thing that needs to happen is whoever's going to be there to interpret it for everybody else to hear, that person needs to also be able to like step out, feel comfortable with whatever gifting they have, and then like declare whatever it is. So you'd have to get two people working in tandem on the same page, leaving themselves aside and really hearing clearly from God. So I think it's rare that I've heard it so much in churches and in groups with a tongue and interpreter because it's really rare to get two people in the same place actually doing that. There probably have also been times where people just have not been doing it right. But there's also a lot to be said that you've got to have two people lining together that the Holy Spirit is working on and moving. That's why it's so important for us to like step out and risk It's never about us. It's whatever God wants to do. And tongues and interpretation of tongues is a great example of if somebody's being quiet, and it's like, oh, no, I don't know. It makes it suffer a little bit. Is it making sense? Kind of, in some degree. I see you all are thinking, so it's good. Verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray, this is interesting, right? Should pray that he or she may interpret what he or she says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, Amen? To your thanksgiving, says he doesn't know what you are saying. 
You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So a couple of things. He says, listen, if somebody's going to be speaking in tongues, this is another thing I found very interesting. People that do speak in tongues on like a regular occurrence, very few of them have I seen they've really eagerly desired interpreting those same tongues. Some of them, I was just, ah, well, that's what I do. That's it. I think Paul makes it really clear that whoever does, man, pray for interpretation. Be earnest about that. Desire it. Go after it. There's like a tension there. Oh, interesting, God, that you put this on me, but like your word says, there, there should be more to this, and it's not happening. So, God, I want to be able to interpret. I want to know what I'm saying, what's going on. Paul says, do that. Ask God for that. Wrestle him for that. And Paul says, well, listen, if it, until the interpretation happens, if someone's speaking in tongues, they could still do it, but in their mind, they're like, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. But he's saying in their spirit, like, there's fruit there. Like, so their spirit is communicating whatever that's communicating, but the mind has no idea what's going on. And so Paul's like, man, steer away from that if you can in public. Because how's somebody going to say, amen, brother, amen, sister? And they're like, well, all right, just sit down now. That's what they're going to say. She's like, try and figure out a way because his focus is, is to build up the church. He said this several times now. And throughout the course of these few chapters, it's really been a focus. The idea behind this is to build up the church, to edify each other, to build us up, to strengthen us. That's the idea. He goes in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I don't know, he's making a statement there, I guess. Um, Verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I mean, that's saying something right there, right? He's making an obvious point. Listen, guys, it's communicating in a way that can help build up our church, help closer align us to God's heart, strengthen us together. Brothers, stop thinking like children. Um, In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. It's very interesting. When most people talk about tongues, uh, they never talk about Isaiah 28. Which when Paul is talking about tongues, he refers to Isaiah 500, 600 years previous. And he says, hey, that passage in Isaiah about people from foreign lands with foreign tongues, God was talking about this language of tongues that will happen on the New Testament church. Because he was saying, right, uh, be adults in your thinking. In other words, what he's really saying is, hey, listen, guys, pay attention to your Bibles. God said it was going to happen in the New Testament. It's happening now. So don't be surprised. The debate of if it should or should not happen is kind of over. That's what he's saying. God said it would. So now we've got to figure out what's the, the right way to do this. What's the proper way that's going to uphold this church and build people up? It says, verse 22, Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? 
they probably would. Or they'd probably say, pass me that communion juice. I'd love to have some. Verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner. Look at this, that he's a sinner and he will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's interesting how he closes that thought process up there to where he says, listen, the tongues, you know, everybody's doing it. Ah, but if you can come in and have a prophetic word truly from heaven, it's a supernatural, powerful impact on people's hearts and on their lives. So much so that it could be common to where someone just says, ah, you're real, Lord. I know you're real now. I, I am sorry. I fought you. I fought you. You are real. I give my life to you. Because the truth of the matter is, it didn't just happen in that moment. The truth of the matter is, for that particular person, the Spirit's been pursuing, has been working on, has been pursuing, has been going after. And the, whatever reason, there's been something going on. And then somebody, walking in the Spirit, gave a prophetic word, boom, and it just set it off. That's a healthy, good picture. And that's what God wants for us. That's what He desires for us. And it takes all of us. He's calling all of us to play our part. And it makes it a lot easier, a lot easier when we're in relationship with Him, when we're talking with Him, when we know who we are before Him. We know who we are, we know who He is. And then we can allow these gifts come into our lives and they come in a healthy way to benefit and build up the church. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. We have our elements for communion here. And if maybe we could get a couple people to pass around. There's nothing super crazy in this juice, I can promise you that. Rob and Mike, you want to? Although, who knows? God might do something to it right before you drink it, and then... Hey, is right. There you go. So, uh, Eric, you mind just putting on a song, putting it on low while they're passing it out?